don't really care about you. Fake heroes don't really care about you. Now, as we come to this passage, John chapter 10, verse 1, uh, the previous passage, we had Jesus heal someone who was born blind from birth. He was blind from birth. Jesus came. He created mud with his spit, which was weird, and he put it on his eyes, and then he saw. And remember, the, the religious leaders of his day, called the Pharisees, didn't like what they saw. They ignored the fact that this man was healed, and this great work was done in this man's life, and they focused, they zeroed in on the fact that Jesus healed on the wrong day. He healed on the Sabbath. He was working on the Sabbath, which was breaking the law, and so therefore they thought Jesus was just a lawbreaker and not of God, despite the powerful work of God that Jesus just did. And at the end of chapter 9, Jesus is basically talking about uh, how how, uh, he's talking about the blindness uh, of those who, uh, sorry, those who do not see will see and those who do see will become blind. And then the Pharisees said, are are we blind too? And and Jesus says, uh, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. Now notice, as you go from verse 41 in chapter 9 to verse 1 in chapter 10, there is no transition. And, and this is an important part. When you're studying your Bible, the, the chapter breakdowns aren't in the original language. And so sometimes you might think that as you go from one chapter to another, it's a whole new setting, but that's not necessarily the case. You have to look at what the words are actually saying. And Jesus ends in verse 41 saying, but now that, you ha- now that you say we see your sin remains, then verse 1, truly I tell you, the audience is the same. The context is the same. He's speaking to the same people. So it's important to understand that as we read this passage, it's not a new setting. It's not a new time and place. It's the same time and place, the same audience. Verse 1, truly I tell you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens it for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all of his own outside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. They never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away from him because they don't know the voice of strangers. Jesus gave them this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Now, if this is confusing, uh, you're, you're in good company. They don't understand what he's saying either. So he continues. He explains. This is what I'm talking about. Verse 7. Jesus said again, Truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. I am the good shepherd. 
The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he is not the sheep, shepherd, and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he is a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. The first point, fake heroes don't really care about you. Jesus is talking about sheep and shepherds. And he's describing the relationship between sheep and shepherds. And what you need to know about sheep and shepherds is that sheep follow shepherds. Sheep, domestic sheep, depend on shepherds for their livelihood. They don't do very well without shepherds. And so they depend on shepherds to uh, provide for them, to protect them, and to lead them to a good place, to lead them to pasture, to lead them to provision, to lead them to food. Now, in our day, we have uh, people that we call heroes. And we like to believe that heroes protect us. Heroes provide for us. Heroes lead us to a place that's good. They lead us to a better place. And Uh, Some of our heroes are sports stars, movie celebrities. Um, Some of them are policemen and women, social workers, politicians. These are the heroes. Some of our heroes are dads and moms, grandmas and grandpas. Heroes are people that we look up to, people that we model our lives after. And I would assert that heroes are, in fact, the shepherds of our day. Heroes are the shepherds of our day. Now, not not all heroes are created equal. Some people uh, are so-called heroes, but they aren't real heroes. They're fake heroes. And Jesus explains his metaphor. He identifies a people that he calls thieves and robbers and hired hands. Verse 7. Jesus said again, truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. Verse 12 and 13, the hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he is a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. So these are people that represent themselves to be shepherds, but they aren't. They're likened to thieves, robbers, and hired hands. Now, remember, Jesus is talking to the same audience. He's talking to, very specifically, the religious leaders who were basically mocking him and saying, are we blind too? So now as Jesus sort of paints this picture between uh, these these thieves, robbers, and hired hands, and then ultimately the good shepherd, who is he saying the thieves, robbers, and hired hands are? He's talking about the religious leaders. It's pretty clear. he's, He's basically assessing them as the fake shepherds or the fake heroes, if you use the language I'm suggesting today. Right, the, the, the religious leaders of his day would have been seen as the upstanding people in their community. These were the heroes of their day. They were, these were the people who were learned. 
successful. They were the people who would have had large followings. If there was social media, they had large Twitter followings and Instagram followings. They were being interviewed. These were the people who were close to God. They knew the law. They knew the scriptures. And if anyone was to be the people who would care for them and protect them, it would have been these religious leaders. And yet, what do we learn about these religious leaders in the previous passage? The blind man comes, who's no longer blind because Jesus healed him, and they go up to these religious leaders, and he testifies of what God does, and they reject his testimony, and they kick him out. They reject him. They slam the door on him, so to speak. These are the shepherds of their day. These are the people who should care about them and protect them and want to lead them to a good place, and they're doing the opposite. And that's why Jesus is, I think, worked up, and he's bringing this imagery of these evil shepherds, these fake heroes who pretend like they care about people, but what they're really interested in is themselves. When you think about thieves and robbers and hired hands, what, is, what unites those group of people? It's about what you can get, right? What you can take for yourself. Like the thief just cares about grabbing from, so the robber is going to do it violently. The hired hand, right, that's the person who just works for the paycheck. They don't care about the work, right? I mean, some of you have been there. You've been in a situation, I don't care about this work. I'm here just to get my paycheck. And if something happens that's going to threaten your livelihood, like if, as Jesus says, when the, when the wolf comes, the hired hand's out. He bounces. He's like, it's not worth it. Why? Because I don't really care about the work I'm doing. I'm just here for a paycheck. And Jesus says that is what these shepherds, these so-called shepherds were all about. They were about their own selves. And Jesus is challenging their authority. Jesus is challenging their position and their reputation, and they don't like it. They don't really care about this man. They just care about their position. They care about what they can get out of the situation. That is what a fake shepherd is. Jesus probably had in mind Uh, from the prophet Ezekiel, just how serious an offense this was. Ezekiel chapter 34. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the Lord God says to the shepherds. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Shouldn't the shepherds feed their flock? You eat the fat, you wear the wool, and butcher the fattened animals, but you do not tend the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, healed the sick, bandaged the injured, brought back the strays, or sought the lost. Instead, you have ruled them with violence and cruelty. And and Ezekiel goes on to say, but God is going to be the shepherd himself, and it's a beautiful story. I don't have time to read it all, but God is concerned about fake shepherds and fake heroes. And it's interesting, even I think of myself, like my title, my role is pastor, like a shepherd. And I look at this, I'm like, wow, like God takes this seriously. 
The question is, do our shepherds, do our heroes really care about us? Like, that's the measure that Jesus is using. And he's saying that some just care about themselves, and they are not shepherds at all. They are not your heroes. But there is someone who is. Even good people fail us. Right? It's not just the wicked, evil people that we all agree are wicked and evil, like Hitler. Right? Everyone's like, oh, Hitler is a terrible person. Of course. But the people we think are heroes in our society, they also fail us. Look at police, politicians, pastors, our parents. I can think of failures across the board. Recently, I don't know if you, know, you saw in the news last few weeks, um, a, a woman was shot and killed in her own home by the police. And, and you might think, well, police are there to protect us. Police are there to uphold the law. Police are there to, to, to keep the safety and security of our communities. And yet, sometimes that isn't the case. A woman not committing any crime, playing video games with her nephew, was shot and killed in her home by the person who was supposed to protect her. Sometimes our heroes fail us. And what Jesus is getting to the point is that that he says, all others who came before me were thieves, robbers, hired hands. They were, they're not the true shepherds. And, and all of life's failings are meant to point us to the fact that we need someone who is a real hero, someone who never fails, someone who is always righteous, someone who is always perfect. And even the best of us fail at being heroes because we're not meant to be heroes. I'm not a hero. Your parents aren't heroes. The policemen aren't heroes. Our politicians certainly aren't heroes. There's some good people. But we need a perfect person. And that's the second point. We are like sheep. The Bible is definitely calling us sheep, by the way. We're we're like domestic sheep. Without a shepherd, we will perish. We will suffer. We won't eat. We will be injured. We will be lame. And Jesus is saying, you need me. That's what he's saying. And it's it's really cool as as we read John... Jesus is increasingly dialing into the fact that he is like the person we need. And he's trying to say it in such a way to not be too explicit so that he has enough time to do everything he needs to do before they finally call. All right, the Jewish leaders have had enough and he's committed blasphemy and we're going we're gonna to kill him. But he's already, we're going to see next passage, they're already there. So Jesus is the true hero. The true hero loves you to death. That's the second point. The true hero loves you to death. And Jesus is painting a contrast between two kinds of shepherds. There are ones that are like thieves, robbers, and higher hands, fake shepherds or fake heroes, as I've been calling them. But Jesus doesn't leave us in the dark on who's the true shepherd and who is the true hero. Let me read verses uh, 7 through 10 again. Jesus said, truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. 
A thief only, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. So Jesus says he's the gate for the sheep and, and that all those who come through the gate will be saved. And, and the, the idea here is that a hero is someone who saves at the end of the day. It's not, a hero is not just someone who does a lot of good things. A hero is someone who actually brings salvation. We, we understand this in our stories, our movies. You talk about superheroes. It's not simply that a superhero is super strong. It's not simply that a superhero is really smart. It's that they employ whatever their powers are to solve a problem. That problem is usually the, the impending doom of the city or the nation or the world. And that's what heroes do. They come in and they use their might and their abilities to bring salvation to a group of people, to a society. That's what a hero does. They bring salvation. And we call people heroes who do this. Remember um, Sully, Captain Sully? Anyone? So that's a great story. The movie's great, uh, but it's a true story. On a plane, a commercial jetliner. Takes off shortly after uh, takeoff, double bird strike, both engines down. Like that's a precarious situation when you've got 100 plus people on a plane. And by God's grace, he was able to navigate the plane and land in the Hudson River with zero deaths. And people called him a hero. And rightly so. Why? Because he saved a lot of lives. His actions saved lives. And, and that's the idea. When we talk about heroism, it's not just about how special a person is. Do you get what I'm saying? Or, or how much accolades or how much fame someone has. But what are they doing to bring value to other people? And what is the ultimate value that you can bring is life. The ultimate hero, the true hero brings life. And that's what Jesus says. He says, I am the shepherd who lays down my life for the sheep, and I've come to bring life and bring it in abundance. Jesus has come to bring life and bring it in abundance. That is the type of hero we serve. Now, some of you might be thinking this. You hear that phrase, uh, abundant life. Not just life, not just existence, not, not just the fact that I'm breathing and that my cells are still replicating, but abundant life. And it has this idea of, of thriving, of richness, a life that we would want, a life that we, we seek after. And, and some of you might be thinking, well, my life doesn't feel abundant. It doesn't feel abundant right now. Like, if, if Jesus is saying, I'm bringing abundant life, is he, is he kidding? Like, I'm going through it right now. Or I'm really sick right now. Or I can't, I'm struggling right now. And, and it doesn't feel like we have abundance. And Jesus is saying, I've come to give life and life abundantly. Like, what do you do with that? Like, just honestly. And as I was thinking about this, if the measure of abundance is material wealth, 
and success and having everything go right in life, then a lot of people, then you know what, Jesus has failed. If that's the measure of abundant life, then, then Jesus seems to be not so good at that. But if you ask the question this way, what do his sheep get 100% of the time with no exception? And the answer is, they get Jesus. Abundance is getting God. It's getting Jesus. And, and if you understand who God is, then you understand the abundance of it. Jesus is God, creator of the world, creator of the universe, creator of all the material stuff you could ever want or dream of. Jesus owns it all, and we get him. And not just him as creator, but him as a person. We get a relationship with God, a real relationship. We can talk to him, and he can talk to us through his word, through prayer. We get God. And not just, not just uh, intellectually, but experientially. There's a, a very real sense of believing in who Jesus is affects the present reality of how we think and how we move and how we have our being, knowing that he is with us. And he promises us a life with him that's everlasting, that's eternal. And, and whatever short-term sufferings and whatever short-term sufferings or, or, or uh, pains and hurts and suffering that we have in the present term doesn't compare to an eternity with Christ. And so when Jesus says, I've come to give life and life in abundance, he, he's not pretending. He's not kidding. He's not just giving us nice words to think about, but he's saying, I'm giving you myself, and it's demonstrated in the fact that I'm laying down my life for you. Like, that's the proof of his love for us. That's the proof of his presence for us. That's the proof of abundance for us, as he lays down his life. And, and I think so often, especially if you've been following Jesus for a while, you can, you can almost say that really quickly. Jesus died for us, died for our sins so that we can have life with him, and not really dwell on what that means to lay down your life for someone. I think about that for a second. Laying down your life. Laying down your life for someone else. That's not an easy thing to do. In fact, we call those people heroes, those who are willing to risk their lives. There's a story of, a, you may have heard this, uh, Noblesville, Indiana, a middle school teacher by the name of Jason Seaman. Uh, he was in a classroom teaching his kids, and a shooter came into the room. And what he did, the teacher, he ran towards the shooter. The shooter was actively shooting and hit him with three bullets, one in the stomach, one in the forearm, one somewhere else. And he tackled this student, and he disarmed him. And miraculously, uh, Jason lived. But clearly, he put his life on the line for those kids. And in one of the interviews I, I read or I saw, uh, one of the kids who was in that classroom said this. 
He says, he did something, but referring to his teacher, he did something that most people wouldn't dare to do. But because of it, a lot of people were saved. And he was rightly labeled a hero in the media. And that kid's right. Like, we like to all think that we do exactly the same thing. Like, we would be a hero if the, we just don't know. I mean, the Bible says that this is a rare thing even. The Bible agrees with this kid. If we go to Romans uh, chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 7. For rarely will someone die for a just person. Though for a good person, perhaps some might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then, since we have now been declared righteous by his blood, will we be saved through him? Uh, sorry. Saved through him from wrath. And what Jesus is saying is, I'm laying down my life for you, not while you're my friend, actually while you're my enemy. I'm lay, I'm, and, and Jesus, in his humanity, because we can sometimes forget about the fact that he's human and that he can feel pain just like you and I can. And how many of you would voluntarily choose to suffer and even to the point of death for someone that you don't even like, for someone, for someone that hates you, for someone that has spit upon you, for someone that mocks you, for someone that says you're not even worthy to live, Jesus died for those people. And that's the clearest demonstration of God's love that we have. It's the clearest demonstration of love that there is possible, and Jesus fulfills it. He's died for us. And it's through his death that we have life. It's through his death that our rebellion, our sin, is paid for. And that we can have a relationship with Jesus. That, that Jesus, as the true hero, brings a real salvation. Like, that's greater than any other story that we have. As great as these stories of Captain Sully and this teacher, Jason Seaman, we have a Jesus, we have a God who has saved us from the ultimate death. And that's the beauty of true heroism. Not only does Jesus demonstrate that he's the true hero, he's the only hero that the world needs. And that's my final point. The world only needs one true hero. Verse 14 through 16. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. But I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock, one shepherd. Jesus says he is the shepherd. And earlier he says he's the gate. And so there are not shepherds, plural, there are not heroes, plural, but there is one shepherd and one hero. 
And Jesus says, everyone who came before me was, was not the one. Why? Were they all as bad as they could be? No, because no one can do the specific work that Jesus did. No one could do that work of what Jesus is doing. And even earthly shepherds with good intentions can't compare to Jesus. And as I was thinking about this, especially in relation to me being a pastor, um, I, I can just tell you the truth. I don't, I don't love you the way that Jesus loves you. Did you know that? I don't love you the way that Jesus loves you. I just fail. I fail at it. I think of, like, Jesus, the, the, the passage from Ezekiel where, where God talks about the shepherds who don't go after all the, like, I don't go after everyone who, who I can't, you know, oh, I haven't seen that person in a long time. Sometimes, you know, I, I just care about my fantasy football team. Right? Sometimes I just care about taking a nap. Sometimes I don't love you the way that Jesus loves you, and, and, that's, and, and that's exactly why we need Jesus. That's, exa- that's why I need Jesus. Jesus is our true shepherd, not me, not John Prince, not anyone, not your parents. We need Jesus, and when we fail, we can look back to Jesus as the one who never failed. The one who lived perfectly in our place. The one who will never abandon us. Who will go after us when we go astray. Who will bring us back when we're injured. Who will heal us. This is the God we serve. And he's on a mission. He says he has other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. And commentators describe this as Jesus is saying, this is not just about the Jewish people. I'm I'm the savior, not just of Israel, but of the whole world. And I'm going to go out and bring other sheep. And he says, they will listen to him. And it's interesting. You get this picture of sheep who can hear his voice. They understand the shepherd's voice. And this is true in shepherding. They they know the shepherd's voice, and so they follow him. And strangers' voices they don't follow. I was thinking about that uh, as Stephanie is, is pregnant, my wife, and and we were reading this really cool thing. We're just like reading all kinds of pregnancy information and learning. It's fun. Uh, I like to Google search and research. Anyhow, um, one of the cool things is that a, a baby uh, starts to learn the parents' voices from in the womb. So that by the time that baby's born, they know their parents' voices. I thought that was so cool. And like, what a picture of what it looks like for God's people to know his voice. What a beautiful picture. And, and just as that comes by birth, like us knowing, or God knowing, or us knowing God's voice comes by new birth. Jesus said in John chapter 3 that in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. And being born again comes by faith. When we believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come to take away our sins, we are born again, not by anything we do, not by getting right before God first, but simply by believing that Jesus is who he says he is, confessing that he's the Son of God, confessing that he's the Messiah, Jesus does something in our hearts where we get a new heart and a new spirit. We are born again spiritually, and then we hear from him. 
we hear from him. We, we, we can hear his voice. We're, we're, we're different. We're fundamentally different spiritually. And he's like, well, how do you prove that? Well, I can just look at my life and see that my life looks drastically different than it did 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Why? Just because I've tried to get better as a person on my own? No, not at all. Because I, I, I think about where I was at 15, at 20, at 25, and my life would have just went very different because I had very different motivations at different points in my life, and nothing short of God changed those. God was speaking. God speaks. God continues to speak. And by God's grace, we have ears to hear his voice. It doesn't mean that there aren't other voices. It doesn't mean that there aren't other fake heroes trying to get in our ear. But the point that Jesus is making is that once we're born again, we get ears to hear him. And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing that, that in the midst of, of Jesus proclaiming his truth, people react differently. And you see that in verse 19 as we finish this chapter or this passage. Verse 19, again, the Jews were divided because of these words. Many of them were saying he has a demon and he's crazy. Why do you listen to him? Others were saying they aren't the words of someone who is demon-possessed. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So some people hear Jesus say the same things, and some people say he's crazy and has a demon. And some people go, I think he's the son of God. And the beautiful thing is Jesus says there are sheep who right now they don't listen, but he says they will listen. They will listen. And you have a picture of Jesus who is fully sovereign. He's fully in control. He says, I lay down my life of my own self, and I will take it up again. He says, I will bring sheep who are not sheep now into this fold. Jesus says, I will do it. I'm the one who goes, and I'm the one who acts. I'm the one who, who, who rescues people. And that's the, the Jesus that we serve as a God who's fully in control, and he's going to do that. It's not by our logic. It's not by our persuasive words. It's by the power of God. And Jesus is the true hero who loves us so much that he dies for us. And he's creating a people for himself, including us. And so as we conclude, I want to encourage you to think in terms of, the question I had here is, how do you hear the voice of Jesus? And it starts by faith, believing that he is. Because by faith, you believe that these words in Scripture are the words of Jesus. It takes faith, believing that this is him speaking to me. And as you believe that, then you, then you get wisdom for your life. You get to understand more of who Jesus is. And the thing that encouraged me reading here in this passage, he says that he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And, and if he knows his own sheep by name, then, then when you pray to him, when you pray to Jesus, he's not confused about who's praying to him. Does that make sense? Like he hears your voice and he knows that's Dan. He's praying to me right now. 
He knows that's Kenza. He knows that's Bob. He knows that's Eric. He knows that's Ross. Jesus knows us by name. That should give us confidence that we can pray to him and that we're not lost in a sea of voices. That he hears and immediately recognizes us by name. And, and if he recognizes us by name, will he not hear us? Will he not want to pursue us? Will he want not, will he not want to meet us in our need as we have questions, as we have pleas, as we have praises, we can go to God and we can listen to him and be confident that he hears us because he knows us by name. And so that's what I want to leave us with this morning is a, hopefully a confidence that, that Jesus knows us by name and we can pray to him, we can hear him, and we can trust in him as our only hero. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you uh, that you sent your son to die for us, to lay down his life, and Lord, that he had the ability to take it up again. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us as a people to grow in listening to you. Lord, to take advantage of the fact that you have made us new creations. Lord, that you care about the entirety of our lives. Lord, that you desire to lead us to good pasture. Lord, that you desire to protect us from wolves and from that which would destroy us. That you desire to have abundant life in you. And Lord, I pray that in the midst of any suffering, in the midst of hard times in this world, Lord, that you would give us a hope, that you would give us a confidence, that you would give us a trust in you, Lord, that supersedes the temporary nature of the suffering we have, Lord, and believe that we have a destiny with you, Lord, that is free from pain and free from tears of sadness and free from oppression, and free from corruption, and free from sin. A kingdom ruled by you in love. Lord, help us by the power of your spirit to, to hold on to that hope and to see you in all the love that you have for us. We thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, at this time also...